I had a five-year plan when I graduated from Art Center, and then I made sketches one year out, and the five-year plan became obsolete overnight, which was, it was insane. I mean, I went from shooting, you know, just freelancer kind of stuff to shooting and pitching on, like, Super Bowl commercials. You are listening to Change Lab, conversations on transformation and creativity. I'm Lauren Buckman, president of Art Center College of Design. John X. Carey is a filmmaker and Art Center alum whose commitment to bringing a social conscience to his wildly successful commercial spots distinguished him as one of Adweek's top 20 content creators of 2016. Carey launched his career in 2013 with Dove's Real Beauty Sketches, an acclaimed short film that explores compelling questions about female self-image. The piece quickly went viral and remains the most watched internet commercial of all time. Carey has continued to carve a successful career, creating award-winning ads from a recent piece for Apple to the celebrated Philips Breathless Choir about a group of people with respiratory complications who find their voice in song. The film was awarded the Grand Prix in Pharma at the 2017 Cannes Film Festival. Today we discuss how John's unconventional upbringing compelled him to pursue a career in storytelling and why he gravitates to projects that give voice to those who tend to be on the sidelines. We dive into the ideas animating John's work as well as his thoughts about the public response to the more provocative pieces he has made. So I think what I'd like to do, John, is just begin with uh, getting a sense of you as a child and some of the early stages of your life. Who you were as a child in terms of your own creativity, your own playfulness, your own, maybe even for you, your concern and sensitivity to maybe the more vulnerable around us, if that's pertinent as for, for the child's view. And uh, what, uh, what early signs there were of you as a creative individual. Yeah, my parents moved from San Francisco um, to rural Missouri because they wanted to write books like Walden and be like, you know, Henry David Throw style writers. Um, so they raised us all three hours outside of St. Louis in the middle of nowhere, like on a farm. And they didn't fit in. Like nobody from the community ever accepted them. They were always outsiders. Um, and so I grew up with this very strange social upbringing, I guess, in that sense, because I went to a school where there was just a town of 500 people and there was about 200 students in that school from the collective community. And it was like none of them understood us or, you know, where we were from or anything like that. And so... And was that the, more because of the writing or the weird San Francisco people or a combination I mean, of all They were the just above? like, oh, those liberals, you know, from California. Um, and why was Missouri chosen as a it, place? it was cheap. It was cheap land. Uh, and then, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. I don't know. I don't think they thought it through. It was the 70s. There was this right big... The, yeah, right into the heartland, right? Right. Back yeah. to the land kind of movement back then. Um, and my dad used to work with the Amish. And, and so, it, I don't know, it was really interesting. You know, for years, we didn't have electricity. We used to get our water from a spring in the forest wow. and haul it with five gallon buckets back to the house. We'd can our own food. And wow. um, how, how old would you have been then? That was till I was about five or six. Um, and I'm the youngest child. So all my older siblings all grew up without electricity or anything like that. Um, 
but we got electricity when, yeah, I think it was around five. My dad's book started to take off and um, he decided he needed, you know, a typewriter and, and, and some of the conveniences of 20th century living. So when he got that, we started getting, you know, VHS tapes and, and we never, we never had TV growing up, but we had a lot of movies on VHS and I, it was all the classics, you know, all the John Ford movies and, um, you know, all the, all the best stuff. So that's kind of what I would watch over and over again. And, and just really like, that was my connection to, to life. Um, it's funny. Cause like when I moved to LA, it's amazing how much stuff is around every corner to feed your mind and to feed your imagination. But when you're living, you know, in rural Missouri, it's just trees and there's nothing to feed your mind except for books. Um, so movies were really like a lifeline to, to the world and, and a lot of hope. I think I, I just invested a lot of hope into them and, and always wanted to make them from a young age. I don't even remember how old I was. Probably five when I saw my you, first one. You invested one. hope into the into the movies. Yeah, into film. I mean, they were more about that. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, I think they were. Uh, it was possibility, right? Because I don't know. You know, when you're stuck and you're isolated, you want to like travel and see. You know, these amazing locations where they're filming Lawrence of Arabia or where they're filming even Star Wars. Like those are all real locations on planet Earth. Like you want to go see what a soundstage looks like, full of you know a, an incredible set, and so. That was really the goal. That was the carrot, like driving me all through, uh, you know, growing up. I got a secondhand camera from my sister when I was about 12. And then I, I started shooting little films and worked in construction, worked on a Christmas tree farm growing up to save up money to buy things like computers and software and uh, green screen and all that kind of stuff. And just worked every single day on, on trying to get into films. Um, and then, yeah, luckily... After high school, I um, got into college and I studied literature a little bit for two years. And the idea was to get my general studies done and then transfer to film school in Los Angeles. And then that's how I got to Art Center when I was 21. And who who were some of your earlier um, teachers or or were there people who encouraged your creativity or your interest in in film and in making things and in your own kind of passion for this was, were there, were there people who understood it, who got it, who could give you support? I think my parents, you know, if I said I wanted to join the circus, my mom would help me research how to find, you know, the closest circus, how to, how to get in touch with them, how to, you know, get a bus ticket. Like she would, she's just so like anything that any of us wanted to do. It was just, okay, I'll help you do that. Um, so, I mean, that was great. You know, <laughs> they thought it was amazing. Uh, and we had a lot of fun, you know, watching movies together and stuff like that. And I think they got it. I mean, they were trying to so raise was, books. So it was mainly that was the, that was the source of inspiration or, or encouragement, yeah. support, really. Yeah, for yeah. who you were. I'm kind of wondering if your teachers in Rome Missouri got it very, very uh, well. Yeah, because, I mean, I would involve all the students and we'd go shoot these crazy things. And I would do effects where, you know, kids would fly up in the air and all this stuff. And I think the student, the teachers were um, impressed to see that level of dedication to something. Um and I don't know that. Yeah. So they were all encouraging and they all kind of sent me off to the city with uh, a lot of well wishes and a lot of hopes of their own. I, you know, I still keep in touch with a lot of them. And I think a lot of them are they're like, wow, it's so cool what you're doing. And then when you did get to college, and you said you studied literature and mythology or were those those are the two things. You yeah. Did? I mean, yeah. yeah. Literature, philosophy, uh, a kind of humanity, religion. Yeah. yeah. Humanity. Uh-huh. I was fascinated by just how the human brain works. Um how you create meaning. I mean, some of my favorite books were like Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning. It's and, a good favorite book to have. Yeah. 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 Things like Tuesdays with Maury and the, all the Harold Kushner books. Um, oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Just anything about 
yeah, how we, how we create meaning I thought was really fascinating. Um, yeah. And just like human spirituality in general, I thought was a really interesting topic. I'm not religious, but I do like to think about spiritual things. And, um, so there was a lot of just reading about that and trying to figure out how movies can influence people in that, in that direction as well. Cause I, I feel like I've seen films where you have a bit of a religious experience watching the movie. Um, and I was just interested in like the people that made those kind of movies, like the Coen brothers, uh, no country for old men is this movie that it's just really haunting. I just keep thinking about it over and over again, or even Hitchcock's vertigo. It's like such a spiritual idea, this idea of this, you know, losing somebody. And then this guy finds a stranger and turns that woman into the woman he lost. Um, it's just, you know, incredible things that movies can talk about. And so I was really interested in pursuing films that, that went into that world a little bit. Um, and tried to be uplifting, especially like when I was going to college, movies became so nihilistic. It was like at the height of the Nolan, Batman, David Fincher kind of phase where I like that stuff, but it's just so like over the top gritty and, and, and nihilistic and, and vapid. And, um, I don't know. I just like, I miss when movies had more hope. And just out of curiosity, did why, why movies, why the form of, of, of movies versus say the books or, or paintings or sculpture or any other vehicle that can get one connected with human experience and meaning that derives from human experience. I think, you know, it's a collect, it's a, it's a art form designed for entertainment. And I, I like entertainment on top of, I mean, I don't think I want to make movies that are just pure allegory, which is a little bit what my commercial work is, but I, I would like, I would love it if it's a story that teaches you something. Um, Cause as a kid, I think that's how I learned the most about life was watching movies that had these sort of allegorical messages in them. Um, and then on top of that, I'm dyslexic. So, you know, it took a long time to be able to read fluently. Um, and so maybe that's why I didn't connect with books quite as much yeah, as I do, as I do later in life. So to, to focus a little bit on the stories you like to tell, it often involves, um, people who are vulnerable in some kind of way, um, who are trying to uh, find their independence in a certain kind of way, wh whatever the case may be. You want to talk about that a little bit and what, why that keeps on finding its way into, into your work? Yeah, definitely. I think when I was at Art Center, I was just trying to make films for personal gain. Um, I just wanted to promote John X. Carey, and it wasn't working out. And it, I, was, I was sad as a result of it. And then I read a line by Harold Kushner, and he said, how you become happy is you help, you do things for other people, you help other people. That's how you have a meaningful, fulfilling life. Um, doing things like, I don't know, this podcast to try to help people listening uh, in some way. And so I think like that's why... I just wanted to start, that's why I made a shift in Art Center to start making films with Design Matters and stuff to uh, give a microphone to people that didn't have any kind of voice and try to promote um, a lot of the struggle that, that people on the sidelines go through. Because um, as we've seen recently, like whoever the most powerful people are, like they are the ones whose views get promoted. And I thought that wasn't right. So why not try to promote the views of, of people that uh, don't fight to put themselves in the spotlight? which is probably most of the world. So, and that, yeah. and that, that connection obviously t took you a long way toward finding meaning in your work. Um, that kind of focus and that kind of attempt to give voice to those who otherwise wouldn't have it. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny the the work that started working for me and, and getting me more jobs was when I would have like a cathartic experience shooting the project. It was, I mean, going to Africa was insane. I grew up, you know, on a farm in Missouri and I never traveled anywhere. 
uh, and then Design Matters happened at Art Center, and there was this class, and we were rebranding a, a, a nonprofit called Project Concern. And I pitched this idea, let's go to Zambia and shoot, shoot a film about your programs. I went there, and they took us to a compound of, you know, millions of people just living, you know, like the average age was of death was like 36 years old because of, um, you know, AIDS and, you know, just going to the AIDS clinic and seeing these people right in front of you get diagnosed positive for HIV. And, um, that was, yeah, that was really insane seeing all that. And then you're just thinking the whole time, I think the cathartic experience on that is you thinking like, why me? Why not them? Why did I just get lucky in life and, and not them? And so, yeah, I had all that emotion in me and then I edited that film together. I don't know. It's an okay film. It's a little, you know, rough around the edges cause I was still learning, but I think like it had a lot of feeling in it and emotion. And so that's when the project's starting getting better. Um, and every time I'd approach one, I would discover something about myself and the world instead of like going into it with a preconceived script and ag- an agenda. And uh, the woman who also taught the, taught the kids, um, Regina Reichler was the teacher who was working with those kids who gave those kids all the, yeah. So that, that was, was uh, my follow-up to the Africa piece. Um, right. Yes. That, that was the shelter from the storm. That was a documentary I did about a teacher. Oh, the fifth in graders who mm-hmm. had been despondent and she came in yeah. and made a difference in their lives That's in a right significant way. Yes. Reichler. Yeah. 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 That was, um, yeah, I was just in class at Art Center and one of the alumni came and he said, oh, I've got this great lady. If anybody wants to shoot a documentary about her, it'd be great. And I was like the only kid that raised my hand. And that's really the thing that took off for me because it was, um, I think ad agency people saw it and thought, oh, this is like a viral thing. It didn't cost a lot of money. And you easily put a brand name at the end for Teach for America or something. And, um, we should get this kid to do commercials. But yeah, that was, she was incredible. Like just how she, it was the first time I'd ever heard, maybe it's a common thing in education, but she said, all these kids are just so goal oriented. It's just about getting into Harvard, being a doctor, being a lawyer, being this, but what kind of person are you going to be? What kind of emotional skills are you going to be? And I thought that was such a beautiful thing to say, because we are just like, so cold hearted and goal oriented. Right. So that was special to see. And it kind of parallels your work in a way. I mean, you're, you're recording it and you're developing the message, but you're doing that kind of work yourself in, as you very eloquently put it, giving voice to those who otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to express. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I I just tend to do my best stuff when I'm doing that. And so it's like, um, I don't know. I, I think I believe a lot in the subconscious motivations for things and I sometimes don't understand why, but I do feel a need to, to give some kind of voice to those people. Um, maybe it's growing up in Missouri. You just see so many people, especially women that just don't have happy lives and you wish you could do something for those people. So it's, it's, it's such a joy. Before we talk specifically about some of my questions, I just want to compliment you and say that the, a, a huge power of your work is the skill and technique that you bring to it. And I, I was very aware of it, watching it. I was very aware of, mm. uh, of, how you use the camera. I was very aware of the lighting. I was very aware of your passion for the close-up, your love of faces, the way in which you will create a narrative and then contrast that with a visual field of a very different sort that, uh, that gives sort of evidence of it, how you create a narrative of loneliness, say just by the figures that you establish without mm-hmm. talking about loneliness at all. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's, that's incredibly powerful. And I think that informs all your work really in all three categories. 
in terms of these pieces that you made that have this commercial orientation, mm-hmm. and I think this is a this is a dilemma for a lot of art center students. How do you balance your own artistic integrity with the commercial context in which you are offering the work? Absolutely. It is a hard thing. When I made Dove, it was just, we were making a short film about self-esteem. And then it was so sad when they put a Dove logo on it. And I saw that because then it wasn't, it wasn't a film about self-esteem. It was, it wasn't a film trying to help people. It wasn't a film trying to send a good message. It was a film that was leveraging women's insecurities to sell soap because it put the Dove logo on it. So it was really difficult to see that. And after that came out, I just immediately wanted to get into movies. <laughs> see. So when you made that, Dove was not in the picture at all? I mean, there was no product. There was nothing we had to shoot that said Dove. We didn't say the word Dove on set because we didn't want them to know what it was for. Um, and yeah, in my mind, I was just making a documentary. And then, yeah, yeah, there's this point in the edit where you have to put the logo on it. And, and then you realize... Did you know that was coming or did that come as a surprise? I knew it was coming, but I don't uh-huh. think about that one bit. Yeah. So, but yeah, in terms of my creative approach, I never think about the product. It doesn't matter um, unless it's a catalyst to create the story like eBay, the eBay spot where the guy finds his motorcycle after 35 years, the same one that he had in high school. That was necessary to talk about the product because there wouldn't be a story. He wouldn't have found his motorcycle after 35 years if eBay hadn't existed. So in that case, the product is part of the story. But yeah, I, I, yeah, it's funny how I, I don't talk about the product. I, you know, there's, it's the old Steve Jobs famous thing that he said, where he said Nike has the best advertising because they don't talk about the shoe. They don't show the shoe. They just celebrate the life of an athlete and how amazing athletes are and their discipline. And that's what Nike ads are about. And that's why they're the best ads. And that's why people love Nike. Uh, and so that's, I would say overall, that's the category of commercials that I do, which is just um, brand uh, identity, you know, building building a culture around a brand. Right. But power, I mean, part of the power that Steve Jobs was talking about is by association. You, that's, that's the idea, right? You, yeah. you, you, you create this story and by association, you then begin to uh, think about the product or the company and associated with these good kinds of things or these deeper questions or whatever the case may be. That's, yeah. that's the idea. But you're saying, I think, and it's interesting that it's painful for you to see the logo at the end of it. Well, I think there's been a lot of backlash lately with, you know, the Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial, right? Because they're just clearly trying to use people to sell a soda. And that's really sad. And I think, you know, it's a little bit scary because I pitch, I turn down a lot of jobs that are just so manipulative and they just want to use people and and causes to to sell things. Um, And so I I wonder if brands aren't going to continue to do that. It's a bit of a shame because, you know, I grew up in the 90s with cereal commercials with, you know, cartoon characters that were acting like they were on drugs because they had sugary cereal. And like, that's the worst, like that kind of advertising I grew up with. So it's nice that at least now brands are trying to spread good messages but I wonder how much longer people will put up with it because I think it, it's right, running right. its course and people are misusing right. and, it. And, but, and what interests me so much from, is, and what I'm trying to understand from your point of view is, is exactly that kind of line between affecting people the way you do in very deep kind of ways and when, when affecting leads into manipulation and how, mm-hmm. when, you know, how you wrestle with that, if you wouldn't mind talking to me a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a good point. It's... You're right. I've tried to be less manipulative lately. I think I think it is trying to find like a language of emotion when you're telling these these 
these stories. And there's the old, you know, Spielberg push in, right, where he's got a close up and it, it pushes into the face. And so I don't know, like that's a really effective emotional thing. And you can just use that all day long and it makes people feel things. Um, but it's not like, you know, on set when you're doing that, you are thinking like, oh, this will be a really useful thing in the edit. And you're not feeling emotion, I guess, as you shoot it. But I think where the emotion for me comes out is when you're editing and then you start building these pieces together and trying to find a message that's important. I don't know. You know, it's an interesting question that you asked about manipulation versus are you doing it genuinely? <laughs> well, or just or just the way in yeah. which we, as artists and designers, we, we, we yeah. want to make a difference in people's lives. We want to change it. We want to open up something versus manipulating people into feeling something or thinking something. And I don't know, there's a, there's a, it's an interesting, when does it become propaganda? I guess. When does it become propaganda? Yeah. 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 Here's watching your work so brilliant and so sensitive and so caring. And I, and the logo comes at the end and now how am I supposed to think about it? And exactly. at, at, on, on what level am I supposed to really you know, there's this, uh, yeah, I just shot this thing. It hasn't come out yet, but about this girl that got, uh, sexually assaulted and raped and her throat cut, but she healed and, um, you know, and she drove everybody out of her life. And then this friend that she used to have these traditional meals with, cause she's a refugee from Africa and all this stuff. Um, she has him come over for a meal. She cooks him a meal. And it was for the food brand and there's no product in it. You know, I think I might upload it without that, but yeah, it's, it is difficult, but the whole time I'm shooting that, I just want to tell her story. And it was, it was nice. Cause I think for her, like she, she had never talked about this. She was really afraid of people. And then she goes to this shoot and I was able to get her to talk and open up about the story. And, and then at the end, she like gave me a big hug and we were like best friends. And it was like so special to see, see like the process help, help this person. And then I thought, well, if this film goes out, maybe other people that have been sexually assaulted would see it and it would help them too. And they would want to go help get help for themselves or talk about it or something. So there is like this, ah, oh, this is I'm doing something good for people, but then you hope you're doing something good, but then you're like, well, am I really doing something good for people? Or is this just triggering a bunch of emotions to try to get viral attention and, and promote a brand? Um, yeah. So it hovers there as a question for you, clearly. Yeah. And maybe yeah. a pain point, it sounds like, too. Yeah. I mean, and I th that's why I'm just trying to get into features. I mean, you're still tricking people into buying a ticket, but it's different. By the way, if we can circle back to sketches for, for a moment, what, like 165 million views within two months or something like that? Right. Yeah. yeah, it was insane. I, well, what was that like for you? I had a five-year plan when I graduated from Art Center, and then I made sketches one year out in the five-year plan became obsolete overnight, which was, it was insane. I mean, I went from shooting, you know, just freelancer kind of stuff. People would email me through Vimeo or through my website and I'd be shooting random stuff in, you know, Georgia for a hospital or something. I went from that to shooting and pitching on like Super Bowl commercials, um, just like overnight. It was really insane. Um, every time you hit refresh, there'd be another million views on the video. And then it was the most, I guess the most watched commercial of all time at that, at that point. Yeah. I don't know if it still is. Um, so that was, yeah, it was really crazy. And then I just suddenly was traveling the world shooting nonstop. And I know you yeah. don't watch your stuff a lot, but yeah. could, could, just for the sake of people listening to this, could you just give a summary of sketches so that they know, know what it is? So Dove Sketches is the idea that a forensic artist sketches a woman and he doesn't see her, but he's a forensic artist. So, and he works with police departments and he, you know, does these incredible composite sketches. So he sketches this woman based on her self-description. And then that woman goes away. And then another person that saw this woman in passing 
we kind of made them see each other in passing, describes that same woman to the forensic sketch artist. And so now he's got two sketches of the same woman, one described by a stranger, one described by the woman herself. And the one described by the woman herself looks, you know, hideous. It looks like uh, some of these things look like Shrek. And then the one described by a stranger looks nice. And you realize like, oh, the little mole and the, the wrinkles and the crow's feet I have and my pointy chin, like strangers don't see, nobody sees that, only you see that. And so the idea is you're more beautiful than you think was the tagline to that. And we interviewed a lot of women and asked them, you know, showed them the before and after. And when they saw the sketches, they, they got teared up and they cried and they said what they thought and they, they said how this is a problem. And so it was fun because none of the advice was coming from me or the filmmakers. It was just coming from the real women that went through this process. And I think that's why it went viral because it wasn't like, you know, a copywriter at an ad agency writing what he thinks um, women go through. It was really them speaking for themselves. And so, um, yeah, I think it hit a nerve somehow really? and yeah. went, went viral. I, yeah, it was just part of the feminine conversation that was taking place at that time. And, and, um, and are you aware of some of the controversy that was also in, in addition to millions and millions of people loving it, there was also some controversy about it. Were you aware of that conversation as well? No, what was the, that? What was the controversy? Controversy about um, uh, how w- w- women were portrayed, uh, what was considered beautiful or not beautiful. Oh, yeah. um, controversy about the fact that you know um, it's a uh, is it is it a is it presenting women as uh, um, is the more serious problem that they're that they're uh, you know their their own self criticism is worse than the fact that they're victims of a sexist culture. Et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Those those mm. kinds of things. Yeah. I, yeah. The point about how we see ourselves and the 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 difference in that versus how others see us is yeah. is it's it's profound and it's important. I have to say, when I was watching some of this, I was thinking that this technology was opening up the possibility for people to be independent, to for for an autistic boy to be able to speak what he had to say. Um, you know, for a young woman to be able to make and tell the story she could make because the accessible technology that Apple was providing, et cetera, et cetera. I wondered if, if that, that way of seeing that work resonates for you and the kinds of things that you were thinking about as well. Absolutely. I mean, I thought, um, my whole pitch for the Dylan to Apple, the Dylan piece to Apple was this, you know, kid who got a Mac and it gave him a future, and I think he felt, I felt that way when I was in high school and got a Mac, I felt like it gave me a future and he got an iPad and figured out how to communicate. I mean, people thought he was non-cognizant, like he didn't have any thoughts in his brain. And then he has this iPad and he's able to type out these really elegant messages and, and communicate with people. And it was such an eye opener. I mean, his parents were shocked that all this was in his mind. And so, yeah, like you're saying, it did, it did enable him and it did give him independence um, in a way that he didn't have before. So I I really connected to that idea. Yeah. And beautiful gift. I mean, it is something to celebrate, I think in such a powerful way and, and does your, your, your work to me really spoke that very loudly and very beautifully. Yeah. I mean, I just, I I don't know. I kept thinking about how lonely he must've been before. And like he, if you see the film, he has these little toy animals on his hands. And I asked him what the, what, why he has those. And he said, well, I needed to create emotional connections to something in life before I could talk to anybody. So they were like my family and I still feel very close emotionally to them. And you just like, can't imagine how lonely it would be to, to be in that, 
that psychological uh, headspace. So right. And by the yeah. way, I remember that moment very well, and it was it goes to what I was saying earlier about your your technique and how you the the focus on that table with the animals on it while he's talking about that mm-hmm. while we hear that. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not sure how conscious you are of all that, but it was very powerful to me. I try, and, I and try. And that kind of juxtaposition of the hearing of that narrative while we're visual, seeing that in the visual field was wonderful. Oh, thank. I'm so glad you noticed it. Uh, I tried so hard. That was a whole motion control shot I did with the animals to have the sun setting behind them and the camera dollying in. So I'm glad that you noticed that because uh, I, I didn't know if it was successful. Well, I noticed <laughs> that, and I also noticed, too, in, um, I guess, the Tostitas piece, which was, again, the... The, the party bag that tells mm-hmm. you, if you know, that says, is that the one? Yeah. The party bag. Yeah. It says don't drive. And there's a, there's this deep shot on, on these, these, the, the pool table and the balls on the pool table. Is that, is that, am I mixing up my, yeah, uh, no, that's, yeah. My, my John X Carey commercial. No, that's yeah. all in there. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, the, the power of that visual field while the, the, uh, the, the narrative is taking us into a different place. I mean, that keeps it very interesting. The impressionistic and, atmosphere yeah. of places. Yeah. 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 And again, yeah. I found that story to be quite, powerful and and then mm-hmm. anyway i made the point the logo at the end <laughs> is, 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 it, uh, it's stunning. I'm just afraid pepsi is going to happen to me someday so, you're right so okay so illegal do you want to talk about illegal just describe it to people who are listening sure illegal is about um uh undocumented children that were born in the united states but their parents aren't documented and some of these kids are uh i mean they're almost all you know, Hispanic, but some of them are, you know, doing really well. Some of them are at Harvard and have successful careers. And then all of a sudden, um, yeah, they get handcuffed and, and deported. And so it was just a film about not really the political situation, but just emotionally what it's like to go through that and be put in a jumpsuit and be put in jail, uh, when you're this clean cut kid at Harvard. So, um, so some quotes that I found from you and regarding these, is that you're, you're, um, and this, Presumably you said this, you're a, a fan of emotion, quote unquote. Correct. Uh, I go to movies to experience emotion. Correct. And uh, uh, people are craving meaning in their, in their content. Um, those are three that striking kinds of statements that you made. And so w- watching your work, I was very interested in how you were, how you were thinking about emotion, how you were thinking about viewer response and emotional response while you were making these what what is it about that 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 what what do you can you say more about what you really want what kind of emotion what what are you really trying to to get at there and what does it mean to you to talk about emotion in that way um i think it would have to do you know aristotle wrote about this term anagnorsis which is the part of a play recognition yeah <laughs> yeah you know, the main character realizes some big thing about their life and it's a reversal of expectations. So I was, you know, like in the dove thing, I was trying to do that where the women realize they're more beautiful than they think. Like up until that point, you're expecting it not to be that. And then it reverses it. Or in the Sadie Apple commercial, you realize that the girl that's severely handicapped in a wheelchair is in fact editing this commercial that you're watching and it's a reversal of expectation. And hopefully at that moment you feel a trigger of, of emotion. So I really love those moments in movies. I really love the end of, uh, you know, the sixth sense where he realizes he's dead. I mean, it's such a cliche example, but I think that's really powerful storytelling. If you can, it's not just a twist. It's a, 
it's changing what you think. It's changing your viewpoint on something, establishing a, a viewpoint, and then and reversing for you, it. Does the surprise then get you in touch with a certain kind of emotion that otherwise wouldn't be available to you? Is that the idea? I think so too. I mean, you're manipulating the amygdala and creating an endorphin, you know, on a technical chemical level. But I think there's also it can just it can like plant an idea in your head right when that hits uh, in a a special way. And so it's, yeah, finding the emotion I think is all about structure. There's a lot of like stylistic stuff you can do with cinematography and music and all that. But I think the true emotion and the meaning comes from understanding your story and the subjects and how to best reveal information to the audience and, and keeping them in the dark a little bit at the front. And then trying to have that special moment. That's a great, it's a wonderful, it's actually a wonderful response. It's a great insight into what, what you're thinking about in terms of the emotional qualities. Cause otherwise it's just, you know, is it, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it becomes something that it's, I think more superficial. Um, and to, to understand that on the deeper level. So one of the things we, we like to talk about, um, at art center is, um, this part of our mission statement called influence change, right? So, you know, our mission is uh, learn to create the double entendre of learning to create and learning in order to create, um, but also the influence change piece of it. And, um, to understand how really art center graduates affect change. Seth Godin recently um, was talking about the fact that of all ways in which people look at data, the way he values his work, the way he thinks about his work is how, how has it changed people? And even if that comes to him anecdotally, that's what he cares about. So, so I'm, I'm interested in how you talk about your work on that level, how you talk about your work through the vocabulary of change and how it might be meaningful to you in that level. Yeah, it's um, it's an it's a powerful thing, changing people's minds with a film. I don't think I've ever tried to make a film that changed people's minds. I guess with the legal, with the immigration piece, I did, but otherwise, I uh, so the I was intention just, the intention wasn't cha- to change. No, it was just trying to give a voice to people that nobody nobody cares about. Um, well, and, but that's yeah. that that's changed too, right? I mean, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. It, challenges the status quo and make something else possible. Right. Yeah. 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 You're right. Yeah. But I've never tried to like, I don't know, start a movement like, uh, like how invisible children tries to make, or used to try to make these like Coney 2012 videos with, you know, let's go change the world <laughs> in March. And I just, yeah, I never cared to do something like that. I just, I don't know, tried to try to show people, um, I guess the internal life of, of some people that I thought were interesting on film. But I think, yeah, if I, I do try to use the film for film, my filmmaking ability for good as much as possible, because I think that does help me in return. It's kind of a selfish thing, really. I think it just makes me feel better about myself when I when I help people, and it it's like this weird intangible thing that you can't explain, but it really does help you to help people. And it, it's bizarre if you try it; it it's amazing. Does the Seth Godin approach make sense to you? I mean, would you say the same that you could measure? your work and the quality of your work or the success of your work by the change it makes in the lives of others? Wow. You know, I guess I've never thought about it like that. Um, that's a, that's a great, you know, metric to, to try to measure it with though, I think. Um, definitely. I th- I've just tried to follow the, follow the fun in a way, like whatever emotionally is, is, 
getting me energized or, you know, creatively enthusiastic about the project, then I just go for, go with that. And I think if, if that feeling's not there, then it's not going to turn out very good. Maybe that's another way to ask the question too. Are there beyond your own intentions, are there ways in which change may have been influenced that, you know, because, because the work is out there and, and you, you know, how you might think about response to that. It's funny. I I don't honestly, because I, you know, I don't show these things in, in theaters with hundreds of thousands of people and I don't talk to people. after. It just gets millions of views and I don't know what happened. I get a couple of nice emails and I'm like, okay, great. But yeah, you don't really know. But you do, you get emails later on in life, like years later and somebody says, oh, I saw this thing back then and it changed my life. And um, I recently discovered on Facebook that I wasn't getting messages from people that weren't my friends. And I just opened it and I had year, like hundreds of messages from people that had seen things that I'd made. And I was just going through them and like overwhelmed by how many people took the time to look me up and, and write messages over the years that I hadn't even seen. So um, I hope it's changing lives and I hope it, I hope it is. But I, I don't know. I just try to keep my nose to the grindstone, really. Okay. So um, I, there was a question I, I meant to ask earlier, actually. Um, it's more, where, are, where is your work seen um, and how, how does... Was it actually broadcast or is it more on the internet or, and I'm interested too in how advertising is changing too and how these various different, like sketches is, mm-hmm. there's a three minute and a six minute and maybe even one shorter. Is that correct? Yeah, that was also, that also played on TV. But yeah, I think it was primarily on the internet and people sharing and the, it on Facebook. How long was the TV piece? I think like uh, 60 seconds. Okay. So they they reduced it right down. Yeah. Right. They chopped yeah. it down for airtime. Yeah. So I do do some TV stuff. It's not as interesting. I'm not a 60 second, 30 second kind of guy. I love the people that do those kind of commercials like Rupert Sanders or even, you know, Zack Snyder used to do those kind of commercials because they're so visually brilliant and amazing. But I'm not the visual guy, although I went to Art Center. I'm more the story idea. I need the characters. I need three minutes to tell the story and, and get in there. Um, I don't think you can really create emotion in 60 seconds. I think you need at least a couple minutes to get to know And so just practically, so these are internet pieces intended to be internet pieces? Uh, these, I mean, I'm talking about yeah. commercials specifically. A lot of them, yeah. I do do a lot of TV stuff now, but starting out I did mostly internet stuff. But some of them are, some of them are, like the Apple thing is for TV. And, and what's the idea that, that these, these pieces will be made for the internet and they'll, they'll catch on in this kind of viral way that that's the, uh, that, and, and therefore advertise the, the company? And, and yeah, clients are still obsessed with TV. They think that's their big thing, but they're not getting voluntary views. They're forcing it down people's throats. It's really the older way of advertising. I think the new thing that a lot of like agencies are leaning towards and trying to convince clients of is to do internet things because it's voluntary views. It's 165 million views or whatever, and it's lightly promoted, but it's mostly voluntary views, people watching it and sharing it. And that's such a better way to get a commercial out there than to um, forcibly air screen it for people in their living room. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the future it leans a little bit more towards the internet. Uh, at least that's what I'm banking on and what I'm Hoping will that's happen. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, I just practically wanted to understand how, how it finds audience, you know? Yeah. So a couple more questions that I wanted to, to ask that we could, we can explore. One, one has to do with the fact that I, I um, have experienced in my own life when I talk to art center students a lot about this, that there, there are moments that we come to as creative people, but I think it's true in life generally that are, are intensely, intensely difficult. Um, and we want to, we want to give up and we draw on eventually some kind of strength, whether that strength comes internally or from community around us or for just people we love or whatever the case is that those challenging moments. And if we can find the strength to get through those moments and get to the other side, 
there, there's often a breakthrough creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know that for myself and I, and I see it with students here. I'm wondering if you might share with us a moment like that or a difficult challenge that you may have struggled with where you've, you've found your way to the other side and that it's opened up possibility or illustrates that, that kind of experience. Is there, is there anything that comes to mind for you? Oh yeah, at Art Center. I mean, it, it's at Art Center specifically. Yeah, everyone oh, talks yeah. about their challenging life at Art Center. <laughs> well, it's that Ira, Ira Glass. He gave that great speech about um, you got you know you start you got into this career because you have good taste. Like everybody asks you for your movie recommendations and stuff, but because of that, you recognize that your work is not it's not good. Like it's not what you're what you're aspiring to be. And a lot of people, and it takes years to get it to be as good as your references. A lot of people give up because they can just recognize how bad it is. But he says, you just have to push through and you just have to keep going. And so, you know, things like that said by Ira Glass would always get me through the tough patches or watching, you know, there's a JK Rowling commencement speech where she, she has some really great advice and I'd recommend people to look at that. But for me personally, yeah, at Art Center, I wanted to do like comedy commercials and I wanted to be, you know, um, like JJ Abrams or something. And it just wasn't working out. Like those shoots would go so bad and the films wouldn't even cut together and they wouldn't be good. So I did have a bit of a, I guess, a, a breakdown where I was just in the editing lab. I remember right down the hall, like just trying to like figure out this footage. And it wasn't until, I just embraced this more like character driven stuff that it's, it started working for me. And, and I always think about that moment sitting in the lab down the hall, like at the computer at two in the morning and the edit just wasn't working. And, um, and you I, wanted that to throw it across the table. I could have given up right across then. the room. Yeah. 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 I almost probably went up, back yeah. to Missouri to work in a factory or something at that point. But I, I, I got up the next day and I tried again and I, you know, did the design matters thing. And I think that was, that was the breakthrough. I mean, it was hard. The first year art center, um, was really difficult. I didn't have a lot of money and, uh, just, you know, living so poorly and it was, it was a difficult time. So can you, can you talk about what you drew on to give you strength to say, get through that moment? What, what was it? Was it, um, turning your, turning your attention to something like design matters? Was it, um, was it your teachers? Was it your fellow students? Was it family? Was it your own sense of drive and persistence. Yeah. I've always had this philosophy that you can either have a lot of hard years and get hard earned life advice, or you can just read a lot and uh, bypass a lot of horrible things. And so every time I have a problem, I'll get on Amazon and I'll Google uh, how to get over uh, overeating or whatever, and I'll get a book on it and I'll read about it. So for that, I think it was, I think that was like the Harold Kushner phase where I was just like living like his book, uh, how to live a life that matters. And also why do bad things happen to good people and reading those books and like just trying to ingest that advice, I think was what really helped me. And then I think it was, there was a JK Rowling commencement speech that she gave at Harvard, which she talks about how humanitarian, um, efforts are really important to her. And she said the people, she had this great quote where she said the people that walk down hallways lined with cages and refuse to look in the cages those people have more nightmares at night than the people that do actually look in the cages. And I think I was the person before that just, if there was some horrible famine or drought or something happening, I wouldn't want to look at it because I would, I thought I would have nightmares. But then when I started looking at those things, I realized um, I had less nightmares. And I think that's, that's when things started turning around for me a little bit. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, certainly I believe strongly that if, if you name the monster, it's a little less scary. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I, I, in my own work, I talk about that too here at, at Art Center that we have, we have 
I mean, it's a, it's, this institution is thriving. It's doing does things so brilliantly, but it also has its challenges and its difficulties. And so I try to encourage that we ask the tough questions here. Um, because if you don't ask them, if you don't name them, if you don't have conversation, but they are often much more scary and, and, and they're then a lot more destructive really to what this institution is all about. So it's a, it's a, it's similar that way too. Not always fun to go through it, but I think important. I might've learned that. So yeah, it's so easy to get into arts because you want to escapism. And a lot of people just stay in that escapism mode and their work doesn't feel grounded, but you can always tell. Yeah. I think, I think the good ones come face to face with the, <laughs> yeah. the demons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. So what's in, what's, what's the future for John X. Carey? What, uh, where, where are you now and what are you doing? And can you share a little bit about what the next phase has for you? Yeah, sure. Well, I've, I've written two screenplays this year alone. And then I have a third one I wrote last year and we're trying to sell all those, um, so that's exciting. And I'm trying to make a movie. Yeah. I mean, one's, one's $2 million, one's $5 million. And then the other one is $70 million. So we'll see which one, which one they let me make. Um, but that's the goal right now is to try to get a movie off the ground. And then, yeah, I just joined anonymous content. So it's great. And been working, um, still in commercials there. Um, but otherwise, you know, things are going good, just working really hard to try to yeah lay track for the, hopefully get into features, which is a much more difficult thing than I thought it would be. Um, so that's the goal right now. Well, thank you for your, your honesty and your focus and for doing us so proud here at Art Center too. We, we, we delight in what you've done and what you've accomplished and just having this time to talk to you gives plenty of evidence of why that's the case and clearly a man of great, great mind and great heart and uh, great skill. And so we're thrilled to uh, count you as part of this community and uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk today. Thank you. I'm very proud to be here. I hope you enjoy this episode of Change Lab. The best way to support the show is to share it with your community and please feel free to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Google Play or the Apple Podcasts app. For a deeper dive into the astonishing creativity and innovation coming out of Art Center, please visit our website at artcenter.edu. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.